Hello everyone, we're glad you're here with us. On Let's Go, we've been telling you about ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. We're talking about all kinds of people here. Men, women, young people, old people, rich people, poor people. Even if they never went to Bible school or if they never pastored a church, God is moving powerfully through them. When believers in Jesus preach his word and invoke his name, God vouches for his word with signs and wonders and salvations, just like he said he would. So dream with me here for a little bit. What would happen if nearly every believer in Jesus was like that? What if every church had dozens of people who were equipped to share the word, win souls, heal the sick? What if everybody in the church had the freedom and the ability to move in their God-given gifts and talents? It's good to have you with us today. I want to introduce to you some of my good friends who are here to help us discuss some of these topics. First, to my left is my good friend and co-host, Pastor Pat McGuffin. To his left is Meredith Slack, who is going to be representing the young point of view today. And to my right, we have Pastor Chris Walker from Claremont, Florida. So, Pat, answer me this. If just half of our churches were filled with people full of the Holy Ghost and the desire to go out and serve, what would the world be like? You know, Tony, I think if uh, half the church did respond in a way that God had really moved on their heart like that, uh, our world would look radically different. It would look like the book of Acts. It would look like that first church where everybody was taking the goodness that God said, and they went and actually did, instead of becoming a spectator, they, they became a participant and what he called them to do. Wow, that's just incredible that not even half of the people are moving out in the power of God. I mean, so what do we need? Do we need a mindset change? Uh, do we need a different way of making disciples? Uh, Meredith, what do young people think about what a real disciple is? What would their definition be? I feel like as a young person, um, being a disciple is is really about uh, coming under someone and um, the mantle that they've been given, and and learning what the Lord has taught them, because they they have been broken and taught and trained by the Lord in so many areas of their lives that I haven't gone through yet, that I want to learn how to submit under that, so I can also learn how to submit under God and act how God acts and uh, do what Jesus did. However, this person is representing that. That sounds a little bit like mentorship, uh, which takes a, quite a bit of personal investment by the one who's making the disciple, doesn't it? Do we see a lot of that in the church today? You know, I think we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence of mentorship because we're seeing it in the business world. So now the religious world is talking about, you know what, we need to grow a disciple one person at a time. We need to pour ourselves totally into them, not just do it in some kind of lecture method, but more in a training method. So when Jesus says uh, to his disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, um, he's talking about a personal investment, having somebody follow him around, which isn't that easy. That's, uh, so that's more than just, as you say, the lecture method. Are we lacking some of that in the church? Do we need more people to step up who have maturity and be willing to mentor young people like Meredith? Well, I mean, you know, Jesus spent three and a half years mentoring those disciples, personal gatherings and personal time that he spent with them 
and he had a, an agenda, which was to make sure that when it was their time to disciple others that they could. And so we definitely need to see more of that in the church today um, because, you know, Sunday mornings you can't get discipled. You can get the word, you can get encouraged, you can get exalted, but it's in those private settings, those intimate settings, those groups, those Bible studies that people can really get mentored and ask questions because mentees always ask mentors questions. Well, and Chris, uh, you and Pat being pastors, uh, I know that you don't have enough time to reach out and personally mentor or disciple every person in your church. So you're looking for a solid team of leaders. Is that part of the answer to making better disciples is that we have more disciplers? Well, we need leaders, again, who are teachable. And then their job is to go and disciple uh, those that are in the congregation. It's kind of like Moses. You know, they told Moses one day, hey, you can't do this by yourself. You need some help. You need to put some over 10 and some over 50 and some over 100 because you cannot possibly do this by yourself. So we do need a good team of leaders who are discipled so that they can disciple. You know, Chris, that's good. Um, you know, Jesus taught disciples should not expect to be greater than his teacher, but to become like him. So we become like the people who are discipling us. I know when the Lord showed me about my ministry that because he was sending me out into missions to preach and all that, that I needed to find a mentor who knew about the gifts of the Spirit. And I served him for a number of years. Uh, what would you recommend, uh, I'll throw this out to anybody here, what would you recommend in terms of pairing up uh, disciples with people who would be discipling them? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's uh, interesting when you talk about pairing up because there has to be some kind of desire for the discipler to invest in that person and for the other person to receive from, from them. But a lot of people, because it's, it's easier to say, hey, would you do such and such? And you just do it rather than train somebody or bring somebody along. The bringing somebody along makes all the difference in the world. If I need to go make a hospital visit, bring somebody along. If somebody uh, is, you know, tormented with sickness, then bring somebody along. And that's the training aspect instead of the just mere teaching aspect. Right. Because, you know, it's kind of like a, you're, you're like an apprentice at that moment. When I worked in the electrical business, I was an, an apprentice under a person who had more experience in that field. And so by shadowing them and watching them, I learned how to do the job. And sometimes it's not sitting in a classroom, but it's shadowing someone and actually watching them. As a young person, it is so encouraging to have a mentor who is bringing them along because I've been brought along on, on different uh, ministry trips and just different opportunities and to be brought into someone's life and to be shown how they do life, to be shown how when it's hard, how they go to Jesus for help. When, when things are difficult, when things aren't looking right or um, they're, even they might be worried, to see how they go to God is so important and so encouraging, especially to me as a younger person, because I get to see how I should do it, how, how I can do it, how there is hope when everything seems hopeless. And I just, I just love that, that being brought along. You know, it seems to me that the amount of personal investment that's involved in either being a disciple or a discipler is going to require 
um, a little bit of a change in our church culture. What kind of things do you think that we can implement or would like to see implemented in order to make the church culture more accepting of forming these kinds of relationships? You know, there's a lot of ways this could look in the local church. One of the ways I think we try and make it uh, work is through the concept of team, where somebody is a team leader is bringing something together and trying to get others to come along with them. But uh, it can go beyond the whole team thing. It could go to the fact that many times we're not just teaching people, which affects the mind, but we're training people, which affects their will. You know, Pat, that's that's really good. I, you know, I think we really ought to unpack more this whole theme of how to change the church culture so that we end up making disciples who are world changers. So we'll be right back. We want to encourage everyone to believe in God's love and power. That's why we do what we do to build your faith. We believe the testimonies here of ordinary people doing extraordinary things will motivate you to do extraordinary things too. We want the fire we see overseas over here too. Can you imagine the impact here? If miracles become commonplace, if people here could see miracles that they just couldn't explain away, we want God's love and power to be so obvious here that even the most dedicated atheist will fall on his face and cry out, God really is among you. God is the answer to our nation's problems. I know it seems sometimes like our country is running as fast as it can away from God and from our heritage as a Christian nation. But the answer to our moral sickness as a nation doesn't lie in making fine-sounding arguments where we try to talk people out of demonic deception. No, if we want to see the kingdom of God on earth, it's not going to come through politics. It's coming through a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Jesus is our blessed hope, not the Republican or Democratic Party. When the Apostle Paul visited the Corinthian church, he didn't go there with eloquent speeches. Instead, he preached Jesus and Him crucified. His speech and His message were not in plausible words of wisdom, the Scripture says, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our faith needs to rest in the power of God, and that's the power of the resurrection, which is the cornerstone of our faith. We know our only hope for a country is a supernatural revival. You know, when I hear about power, I think of resurrection power, and that's the same power that Paul talked about when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's right, Pat. You know, miracles build up our faith. And when our faith is built up, Jesus through us can even move mountains. You know, that's so true, Tony. This show is here to challenge you to do more with your faith than you thought possible. If you believe that our show is valuable, if you see that the work we're doing is something that encourages your faith and makes a difference in your life, and we ask you to pray for the ministry. We also ask you to visit our website and to partner with us financially. Just go and click donate and help us keep this show on the air. 
Every dollar you give goes to helping us put more testimonies on the air, more good encouragement, more good teaching. Won't you help us today? Thank you for prayerfully considering how you can partner with this ministry going forward. So Pat, before the break, you had mentioned that there's a difference between teaching the mind, but training the will. Could you unwrap that a little bit more for us? Yeah, I think our, our normal method of uh, teaching people is affecting our mind. We're growing in, in, our, in our knowledge of things, which is good and is fine. But when life change happens, it's because somebody was trained. You've broken their will. You've moved them forward in their will. Think about a Marine who goes to boot camp. They go, they break them down. They tell them, no, you will do this. You will get up at five in the morning. You will this, you will that. And you bring it down. And then you begin building that Marine back up so that things become instinctive. The same way with Christ. He is trying to break our will for our, our flesh to be crucified so that we will will yield really easily, almost um, instinctively to him. Oh, that person's sick. Go lay hands on the sick. Oh, that person didn't feel well. Well, don't go about your agenda. Handle it. Um, you handle it, not your pastor. You handle it. And so this becomes an idea where Christ is breaking our will, not just teaching us more knowledge, so that we are trained to respond as disciples. Oh, boy, that is so good, you know, and makes me think of um, Hebrews 12, where it talks about the discipline of the Father and training, um, His training out of us. That's not, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But in the end, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Mm -hmm. And so there is that sense where in any kind of discipline, whether you're on, in a sports team or you're studying for, a, you know, to get a degree, you have to say no to your flesh and train your character um, but where's the accountability for that in our church culture? How do we bring about a setup where we just don't f cram information into people's heads, but we actually are able to help mold their character so that they become more like Jesus? Well, it's kind of done in, you know, group settings. It's done in teaching. You know, it's done through relationship. You know, if, we're, if we have a relationship, it's easier for me to receive from the person who's training me versus um, just kind of, you know, sitting there. I've heard of a, a term that I think is, is true in many of our modern day churches. We bring them infotainment. You know, we're giving them information. We're entertaining a little bit. It's all happening on a Sunday morning and then we go. Well, that's not training for life change. That's not training for world changing. So um, getting past infotainment is a big thing. So if you're watching our show and you're one of those people that's really burning on the inside to do something for the Lord, you feel a call on your life to make an impact, but you're not finding much more than infotainment, as my brother Pat says. What do you do? How do you go from being that guy who faithfully attends church or the gal who's tithing regularly and volunteers in every way they can? What do you do? And so, Meredith, what, what have you done? Because I know you're somebody with some fire. What ha how have you broken the mold? Well, I've, I've had some really great mentors in my life, and uh, the Lord has often led me to them, and He has pointed them out very strongly. Um, and a big part about it is, is how they care for me. 
And when I see how they care for me, I, I want to learn how to care like that. And so I, I go forward with whatever they're doing. I want to be around them. I want to see how they care about people. I want to be cared for by them and learn from them. And that has changed so much in what I do because I see what they do and I want to be like that. Well, that is just awesome. So not only do I want to commend you personally, Meredith, but you know, I know every pastor, every leader, anybody who's been working at church would die to have just one or two or 10 of you uh, because being willing to be taught is just so critical. What do you do, Chris? What do you do with somebody that kind of shows up at the meeting but really doesn't want to do anything or doesn't want to learn anything? Well, you know, again, it's, it's through relationship. You know, someone comes to a meeting, they don't want to do anything. They don't want to worship. They don't want to respond. Um, I've learned as a pastor over the years that they may not be responding outwardly, but they could be doing cartwheels inwardly um, and just taking it in. And so, um, again, it's through relationship and just, you know, getting to know them, getting to know where they are, you know, what is it that they're seeking for? Um, it's kind of like the, the man in John chapter five, you know, he went to the pool for 38 years, but, um, and he was looking for healing, looking for a move of the water, but it wasn't until Jesus asked him the question, how bad do you want it? You've been coming, but you've got to want this. And so people can come, but they've got to want it. They've got to desire it in order for the mentor to teach the mentee. So Meredith, along those lines, uh, you just decided to be intentional to seek out discipleship. Is that right? Yes, I, I did. It was. It takes time. It takes uh, energy to go to places you aren't used to going, to meet people you aren't used to meeting, and learning from people that you may not know very well at, at the start. And that can be really scary for a lot of young people. It can be scary for older folks too. Uh, but you also found the people that wanted to disciple you and did not think that you were invading their space or taking up too much of their time. Pat, is it hard uh, for people to carve time out of their lives in 21st century uh, American life? Oh, I think absolutely. I think the uh, best way I can say it is I think most people are bankrupt on time. They don't have time. and um, But you know, we always have time to do what we wanna do. Uh, somehow we do what we wanna do. And um, if we as a, uh, as a church, as people, as individual Christians can see that, okay, where we are is okay, but God's calling us to more. Um, so what do I need for that more? Who do I need to go and be around? How can I help somebody else who's looking for more come along with me? So um, if you can build a network, a spider web of people who are all looking to help somebody move to the next place with the Lord, um, that's a cool, that's a cool church. So that's what we want to try and be as a church. Oh, that's, that's really good. The idea of empowering people that you're discipling when you finally, uh, so to speak, throw them in the water to see if they can swim. Mm -hmm. how, how does that work and how you disciple people, Chris? Well, you know, sometimes you, you know, got to, um, let people sink or swim. Sometimes you gotta let them get out there and teach and let them fumble a little bit because through mistakes we learn. Uh, I may not throw them out there on a Sunday morning, you know, to the Sunday morning crowd, but Wednesday night groups and, and uh, stuff like that. So you've gotta let people make their mistakes in order for them to learn uh, what to do correctly. 
You know, that's really good. You know, I've learned as a pastor to manage risks in discipling people by putting them in smaller settings or more intimate settings where they can first learn to express their teaching gifts or whatever other gifts right. um, so that if they mess up, I'm right there. I can put my arm around and say, hey, that's great, but just want to let everybody know that, you know, and then you offer some loving uh, correction so that the sheep don't get... Right. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and as a perfect example, you know, um, I remember going to uh, Ecuador with you. Uh, it was either Bolivia or Ecuador. I can't remember, but I think it was Bolivia. We went over there and, and of course, I've always went with you and kind of watched you and how you do things. And, and I took the attitude, well, I'm just here to, you know, learn and look. And if he needs me to, you know, hold somebody, if they fall out, I'll do that, you know, carry his water. And uh, you, we went to this church and you just kind of threw me out there and you're, they wanted you to speak, but you made me speak. And I'm looking back like, Tony, you know, what did it do? And you're like, no, you're fine. I'm like, Tony, 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 you know. <laughs> and you just threw me out there. And God showed up amazingly because you knew sometimes the mentor, mentor has to know when it's okay for the mentee to get off the boat. Well, that's true. You have to know your people. And you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit has to lead you um, into knowing when it's a, a good time or not. Yeah, I think there's also more than just massive public settings to that you get a chance to go. I, I know I had um, mentored six guys last year, six men that I had looked at, young men that I felt like God really wanted to move further. And then when they we finished at the end of the year, I'm, I'm actively looking, okay, this one is a real people person. So I'm going to have put him a certain place where he can shine. And this person is just loves serving people. So let me give him a chance to shine and bring other people along and mentor them. So I, I try and look at how God wired them and then put them in places where they can grow in their gifting and bring somebody else along then so that it's not all about me doing the mentoring, but now they're doing the mentoring. Now, that is so good. The part about recognizing their gifts and their graces so that we don't set them up to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain people in our congregation that may be wonderfully educated in the word and have very humble and noble hearts, but there's just no way they can get up and, you know, speak in front of people. And you may, maybe God could change because God can do anything. But we, you know, it's a process. You just don't throw them in there, except in your case. But you're already pastor in a church and stuff for many years, Chris. But, you know, but that's the truth is we part of discipleship is having your discipler recognize the graces and the callings that God has put within you. And being someone who has been discipled. It is so helpful and encouraging when someone calls out those giftings in you and tells you this is what you were made to do. God has put this in you. That is just, oh, it makes makes you feel so good. It makes you feel like you can step out, uh, like step out in faith because you're like, oh, wait, no, someone's identified this in me and I believe the Lord's in them. So the Lord has called me to do this. And it's just, it makes you want to do it. And, and, and Jesus gave us a perfect example with the 12. Mm -hmm. All of the 12 were different. They all had different giftings, different personalities, you know, but they all were called to be used. Even the doubter was called to be used. Even Peter, who was a little around, rough, rough around the edges, was called to be used. All of them had something that God could use even in their, uh, their strength and even in their weaknesses. 
You know, that is an amazing thing that Jesus could see that in all of them, but not just that. Jesus uh, declared that we would do the same works he did and even greater if we only believed. You know, there's no sense of competition between discipler and disciple with him, is there? There's no jealousy. And I, you know, sometimes I think it's uh, a dis the discipler's lack of self-esteem or insecurity, which gets in the way of really releasing disciples. But we should trust God because if we're faithful to do what he says and disciple the people that he gives us, then he's going to bring us exactly where he wants us. And I believe there's promotion involved in that in some way. Yeah, I think that there always would be that promotion because every, every father wants their children to go beyond them. And so does the Heavenly Father want, it, want us to raise up people to help go beyond us. You know, that's, that's a, a father's dream is for your children to go beyond you at an earlier age. And I'm talking about in Christ. So that's a real key thing. One quick thing, Chris, on what you were saying on uh, that's good to note is on those 12 people that Jesus called, none of them was leading a synagogue. They were common, ordinary people that he saw, he developed, and he inserted in kingdom expansion. And so that's why our viewers need to realize that's who Jesus called. You're one of those people. You don't have to be the synagogue leader, the pastor, whatever, but we do need to respond to his call. We have to respond, and we have to respond in faith that he has called us to make an impact. I mean, Peter and James and John, those guys hanging out uh, fishing, did they have any idea that they would start uh, the movement of uh, Christianity in the world under Jesus? I mean, it's just amazing. And But there are some of us who have calls that will also impact the world. And, and even Judas had purpose. Judas, yes, uh, even Judas was equipped and discipled. He was called, he was chosen, but not faithful. But speaking to you today, I just want to remind everybody who's watching that in Jesus, you keep your eyes on him, you can't fail. I believe God wants to do stuff that will just blow our minds. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men and women what God has in store for those of us who love him. God's plan is for us, the church, to be triumphant. And that means more than just the pastor or the leadership team. That means all of us preaching the gospel, healing the sick, praying and believing for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. If we believe, we will have the honor of watching it happen bit by bit until Jesus comes back and he truly brings justice to the nations. We here at Let's Go are all about encouraging you, the church, and in strengthening you to go and do what God has called you to do to advance His work. We invite you to go to our website, www.heartoftitus.org, and check out the resources we have there. We have teachings and testimonies, missions that you can help us pray for. You can also register for our free monthly email newsletter that we will send you where more great teaching and testimonies that you've been hearing from us. And while you're there, please consider becoming a financial partner with our ministry so that we can continue to bring you these encouraging programs and do the work that the Lord has asked us to do. Thank you again, 